Good morning. My name is Logan Fields. I've been here for at Riverside for about two and a half years, uh, like Ezra said. I was in ministry before this, um, and now I'm an entrepreneur, and I was in ministry for about four years. I thought that's what I would do forever, uh, and then about four years ago, we went into full-time business. I had a pretty cool life growing up. My dad was an Air Force officer, so we lived overseas. I spent a lot of my childhood in Japan. And some summers, we would be able to come back to the States uh, and visit my grandparents in Texas. Uh, they lived at, in a small town called Ransom Canyon, a little outside of Lubbock, Texas. And my friends and I would just hang out all day in the canyon. And I mean, I, was, I can't believe what my parents would let me do. I was like 10 years old, and I had like an Indiana Jones whip and knives and matches. And I'd be gone all day. Uh, no cell phones. Uh, I just can't even understand how they allowed that. My daughter's five years old, so she went to school for the first uh, year. This year, she, she's done with kindergarten on Monday. And man, I was, I was uh, terrified. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good with risk in general. Uh, actually, it's one of my strengths. But with, with this, I was a little paranoid, like, I went and I bought this GPS watch that you have to pay like a phone service for. Like, so I bought the watch and I paid for the monthly phone service and it's like where you can see where they are and you can like listen in to what's going on and she can call you if something's wrong. And then I, I canceled it like a week in. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't believe what my parents would let me do. But we would, we would spend these summers in Ransom Canyon and then sometimes Christmases, and it was just an awesome time. I mean, part of it was we were back in America uh, for a change, but, you know, we had a lot of aunts and uncles and a lot of cousins, and my, my grandparents just uh, had a really great relationship, and my, but my, my grandmother was so joyful all the time, joyful and sweet. Um, she, she became a Christian towards her later years when I was in college. But I just, it's unbelievable to me that she was like that um, because she was a Jew, a Jewish refugee uh, from, from the Nazi oppression. She was born in Yugoslavia. Her father, my great-grandfather, was a wealthy uh, dentist who apparently owned much of Sarajevo, and uh, the Nazis captured him, but the, apparently the maids were able to tell my grandmother and her mother, my grandmother was a very young girl at the time, that the Nazis were coming and they were able to run. And uh, my, my grandfather was made to, they, they kept him alive and he was made to take the gold out of the Jews' teeth before they were gassed. And he eventually was, killed while trying to escape, I think days after the war ended, but before it had been announced, because, uh, you know, it took time for that whole process to go through. But for years, my grandmother uh, and her mother ran. Eventually, FDR, during the war, <coughs> sent a uh, submarine off of the coast of one of the countries. I don't know what country this was. I imagine they were running through a number of countries, because it was for a number of years. 
and it was like two or four miles off of the coast. So they had to, my grandmother was nine at the, ten, at nine at the time, and she had to uh, be on her mother's back and swim to the submarine with bombs dropping in the air. So my, my grandmother, dropping in the water, my grandmother was deaf in her left ear from the bombs. Um, and then they came to America. I didn't grow up in a, uh, like a Jewish environment. They were, a lot of Jews, when they came under those circumstances, they would kind of table that, uh, you know, Judaism, and they would, because Jews were not well-liked um, for a very long time in a lot of places, including America, and so they just assimilated, and they acted American, um, and they were American, of course, but they just completely took on the typical American identity. Um, my son's name is Levi, because our family tradition says that's the tribe we're from. You know, when I think back to that, it's, it's special. It's part of my heritage. And many of you have stories like that um, in your families. Our heritage it becomes part of our identity when we pay attention to it. It becomes part of our, our heartbeat. And what we have when we join the family of God is such a rich, intense heritage. And when you take hold of it, it changes who you are. We're, we're in Hebrews 11, um, and we're going to talk about faith. I think faith is fundamentally different than a lot of Christians understand it to be. Faith, uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In Matthew 17, 11, that's the passage where uh, Jesus talks about the mustard seed faith. What's happening is uh, there's a certain group of disciples that have tried to throw out a demon out of a child. They failed. It, it didn't work. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, why couldn't... And these are his disciples, right? Not random followers. These are part of the twelve. Uh, they come to him, why couldn't we throw out the demon? And again, disciples that are part of the 12. So they've seen miracles. They've seen the loaves and the fishes. They've given up their lives to follow Jesus. They are rogue Jews in a, a, a place where that, would, that was not super well received. Uh, remember, they wound up crucifying Jesus as a rogue Jew. That was the context. So, so it's not like they're newbie Christians or bad Christians or anything like that. They try to throw, throw out the demon, and they say, why couldn't we? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. If you have faith as, as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And a mustard seed, you know, like smaller than a tomato seed is nothing. What Jesus was saying is, look, because you had zero faith, what is the amount of faith required to have great faith? Uh, what is the amount of faith that God cares about? Anything above zero. Th that it, it's, a, it's an absolute proposition. 
You either have zero faith or you have more than zero. Now, now the, the trick is exercising more than zero when it becomes more difficult, um, which is what you see was great about the people in these, this pa- these passages, is not that they just had faith sometimes, but they, they were able to exercise more than zero when it counted. Um, and faith, to be really clear, a, a lot of churches, a lot of Christian authors, they define faith as basically this ability to just believe what you muster up the belief and make it happen. If you just believe, you can achieve what you want. I, like 10 years ago, I was watching this game show, and, you know, a guy was spinning, spinning a wheel trying to get a prize, and he was going, believe and achieve, believe and achieve, uh, and then he lost. He didn't win anything. That faith is not like this self-possessed trait that allows us to, uh, you know, borrow God's magic wand and get what we want. Faith is trusting not that we can get the future that we want. Faith is uh, trusting that we can have what he wants us to have. Trace, uh, faith is trusting what he has said. And, uh, you know, m- many of you throughout your life, but many of you right now, you're at decision points where faith is required and, and you need to know what the right decision is. Uh, have you ever been there where it's like, hey, look, I, I'm totally willing to trust God, but what do I trust God for? I just need some clarity, Right? That's a, I've been there for sure. And just trust God for what he's shown you. Just when, when you have light, respond to the light he's given you, and you will get more light. I call it the light principle. Uh, Psalms 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge, and there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Why do, the really important question in Christianity, why do people who have never, ever heard the gospel go to hell? It's not because God decided uh, that he was just going to send them to hell. Everyone, everyone who has ever existed has had some form of light. And when a person responds to that light, even if it's just creation, hey, look at this. I want to know more. He will give more light. And what that means in, you know, the example I just gave, some person on a, on a faraway, unreached island, if they respond to the light God has given them, and he will give them more. And if they continue responding, they will absolutely, for sure, have the opportunity to hear the complete gospel and accept Christ. Now, for us as Christians, who we've already accepted Christ and we're past that point, uh, it's still an important principle. God will show us light. Respond to, stop trying to go past it. Stop trying to skip over it. Respond to what he's told you, and he will give you more. By faith, Abel, this verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, 
God commending him by accepting his gifts. So Cain and Abel, really a common story where I guess we're going to hear it preached pretty soon this summer. Uh, you have, they, they were both of age now where they were responsible to come to God on their own. And it was time to give a sacrifice. God uh, wanted a certain type of blood sacrifice. Uh, not because that did all of the work needed to send someone to heaven, but it was symbolic and it was an act of obedience. And uh, Abel, who was a shepherd, did. He, he offered a lamb. God accepted his sacrifice. Cain, who was a gardener of sorts, he brought his best fruits and his best vegetables, and God rejected it. And then Cain was mad, and he, he killed Abel. Uh, and he, he obviously is not in the hall of faith uh, in a good way. Abel was. The difference is Abel came to God on God's terms. You cannot go to God on your terms. That's not the way it works. You have to go to God on his terms. But it's really easy to be like, hey, look, I'm, I'm willing to follow you as long as, you know, we can keep it kind of in this lane. And it's really easy to sound and to look spiritual, right? I mean, think about it. Cain, he's a gardener. He's like, hey, I'm giving the best of myself here. I'm giving the best of my work. And Jesus says, I don't want the best of you. I want your heart, and I want your obedience. That's what faith is. Part of faith is obedience. Verse 6 uh, is talking about Enoch, who was taken up to heaven. He was one of two people that never died, um, and he was taken up to heaven. And the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there's kind of a foundation for faith right there. Believe he exists. Believe that he rewards those who seek him. And again, and just to be clear, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about whether you go to heaven or not. I'm talking about whether you're walking in God's light, whether you're staying in God's path or not, and you're in a place of faith involves these two things. And if you want to please God, you have to have faith. James 4.8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's part of the light principle. Respond to God's light. He will give you more light. By faith, Noah, verse 7, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. <clears throat> so Noah is about 500 years old when he was told to build the ark. Uh, I would assume by then you're kind of in your rhythm of life and not really open to change. Uh, and God says, hey, do this ridiculous thing. Now, at the time, uh, there, there, was, there had been no rain on earth yet. The, the way plants were nourished was by uh, mist from the ground. And so rain was not a thing yet. And God's like, hey, build this giant boat on dry land uh, because the world's going to be destroyed by water falling down. And it took uh, approximately 20 to 40 years uh, we can kind of deduce by the age of his sons and stuff like that, for him to build the ark. So a long time, he's doing this ridiculous thing. 
And I can only imagine what people around him said. And he was, during this time, also telling people what was going to happen. And, like, the ark was open to others. Um, and he looked weird and ridiculous. Faith, at some point in your life, is going to look like that. Both of our staff members, Ezra and Keith. Ezra was a middle manager at a sports goods importer, uh, and Keith was a sales manager. They were both really old. I don't know. They were older than me. And, and then they made this change into full-time ministry. And, you know, I haven't actually talked to them in depth about what that transition looked like, but I assume it's probably pretty safe to assume that people around them were like, what are you doing? That looks weird. I was in full-time ministry. I thought I would always be in ministry. I was working to be in ministry since I was 15, preaching, running ministries, uh, going to classes and seminars, and, all. and then I went to Bible college, and then I was in full-time ministry. And then God called me out of ministry and into business. And people around me, I mean, I might as well, they treated me like I was an atheist. Like, oh, you're leaving ministry. It's horrible. And, you know, sometimes those transitions are going to be so intense and weird that uh, it will be hard with the, the pressure around you. But God rewards when we just respond to the light he's given us. And he, he does the rest. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham, uh, who was probably somewhere in Mesopotamia, um, and I think, although I don't know for sure, I think he was already wealthy. He definitely, by the end of his life, was very wealthy. He was so wealthy that countries did not want to go to war with him because he, as a traveling rich man, had an army that could face nations by the time he died. But I think he probably started out wealthy, but he, he leaves his country and his family to go traveling to a place he didn't even know where he was going. He didn't even know where he was going. And that is going to be true plenty of the time. Uh, for me, I, like, I don't really prefer that uh, context because I'm like, okay, let's plan the 10 years Let's make it happen. Um, and to a point, you can do that, but uh, it, it'll change one year in, just so you know. It, it, God doesn't tell you the end, usually. He just, he'll show you some light, respond to it, and then he'll show you more. That's what the walk of faith looks like. Right now, I kind of, I don't see how I would ever do anything except business. But I, I just said that, and who knows, man, in 10 years, what it'll look like. I don't know. I do know, even if I am in business in 20 years, that it'll look very different than I think it will right now, than I can imagine it right now. But part of faith is going for what, surrendering to what he wants. It's surrendering to the future he wants. I'll tell you, like, part of my story in the recent year is I realized we have a software company is our, is our main thing right now, and, and we're start, we just started a marketing company, and 
we're going to do some other stuff. Um, but a while ago, I saw, hey, look, I can actually just get this to the point where I'm making more than enough to do whatever I want, and I can just automate it, and I can hire someone to run it, and, I, and then I can do whatever I want. And then God said, no, you need to build this in a way that you're, build, you're bringing on people and uh, starting more companies so that you can bless employees and that you can bless clients. And I'll tell you, that, that level of leadership is, uh, when you get closer to it, it's, it just, it's gold-plated early on, but when you get closer to it, it's, it's heavy and it's intense. Uh, and that's a change that God called us to. And again, though, in 10 years, I guarantee it'll be different than what I'm expecting now. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah was 100 years old, had not had a child, and then she got pregnant. <laughs> and that's crazy. And one of the reasons that this happened, one of the reasons she's in the Hall of Faith and that she was able to have more than zero faith in this situation is because she counted him faithful. She, she held on to the things that she knew were true, and it helped her to reach up to the light that God was showing her for this next thing. In, in our uh, upstairs bathroom, my wife has like three sheets taped to the wall titled, uh, Things I Know Are True. And it's uh, things about God and things he's promised. Just hold on to and pay attention to the things you know are true. Take that light. Act on it, and God will show you more. Count him as faithful, and that'll help you hold to faith and have more than zero faith when it matters. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. This is talking about uh, the promise for Abraham to have countless heirs. Uh, he did not when he died. He had Isaac and Ishmael, right? That was it. Um, well, and Jacob was alive. He, he did not have countless heirs, not even close. Not, and Sarah, of course, didn't either. Um, he didn't see the fruition of his faith until after he was gone. There's uh, Hawaii used to be a, a completely idolatrous nation. They, and it, I mean, it was very oppressive, a lot, a lot of idol worship and weird, intense things, like if a woman ate a banana, she died. Thrown off a cliff for eating a banana. Also, you can't sit at the table with men, or you get thrown off a cliff. And it, it was stuff like that. Uh, if, a, if, a, if a peasant looked up at an idol, dead. Really, really heathen practices, heathen nation. Uh, there was a boy named Henry Ubukia 
who, uh, in a tribal war, his parents were killed in front of him. And then while they were dying, he took his six-month-old brother on his back, ran, somebody threw a spear, the same people who had uh, killed his parents, and killed the brother on his back. And then he was made to live with the family who had uh, killed his family. Later on, he, he was being trained by, he, he was given to his aunt, aunt and his uncle, and he was being trained by one of his uncles to be a priest in this Hawaiian religion. Um, and one of the things they did is they would memorize long texts. And so he actually learned, they had some, some really good ways of learning memory. And, but anyway, his, his aunt did something wrong when he was about 15 or 16, and she was thrown off a cliff in front of him. And he was so broken and depressed that he tried to commit suicide. He tried to run off the cliff. Some of the warriors intercepted him and did not let him uh, go off the cliff. Not long after that, a fur trader from America came through, and he was able eventually to get passage to America. So he goes to America. He just wants to learn, and he's, uh, he, he wound up at Yale, not a student yet. He's on the steps of Yale, which at the time was a Bible college. Yale and Harvard, I think Princeton, all used to be Bible colleges. And he's sitting there on the steps crying because he doesn't have access to this education. E.W. Dwight, who later uh, became a, a very well-known theologian and the president of Yale, saw him. He was a student at the time and asked him what was wrong. He said he was crying on the steps. He said, I, all of this is closed to me. E.W. Dwight uh, helped him, uh, gave him some resources, and he was able, Henry Ubiquia, because he was a very smart guy, and he had also learned these, these memory tricks uh, from his priest training. He, he very quickly learned to read and speak English and did very well at Yale, and he was converted to Christianity, and he met Jesus, and his vision and was to see Hawaii come to Christ, and he absolutely believed that it would happen. And then he got sick and he died in America. Never saw Hawaii again. Well, there were missionaries around him, friends, that were so inspired by his life uh, that pretty much immediately they went to Hawaii. It's a six-month boat ride at the time. Well, when they got in view of the island, there were just stacks of smoke and they were worried that they were too late, that, that there was just this horrible tribal war going on. But what had, ha what had happened is six months before, meaning uh, when Henry died and when the missionaries left, they had received the gospel. And they, the whole island, you know, generally speaking, had come to Christ, and the, the smoke were the burning idols. And Henry's dream, Henry's calling, what he had faith for was fulfilled after he was gone. And some of the things we are called to, we may not see with our eyes while we're still here. But many of the things we're called to, even if we do see, they will take time. 
because good things just flat out take time. When I went into full-time business, I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be a millionaire in six months. Um, and we made a lot of money, and we were, uh, you know, quote-unquote wealthy in three months. But then we were poor in 12 months, um, <laughs> you know, because good things just take time. It takes years, usually, to build something great, a good relationship, a good ministry. A, um, and, you know, by the way, relationships and discipleship and witnessing usually takes a long time. We're kind of in this quick fix culture, in this TV evangelist culture where we're like, and I'm not saying that this is a bad way to do an invitation, but where it's like, hey, raise your hand if you want to accept Christ. And again, that's fine. But usually for an adult to come to Christ, it's going to take a long-term relationship revealing Jesus to them. And maybe you have a family member that you want to see come to Christ. Just hold on and play the long game. Good things take a while. Maybe you need, a, there's a relationship, probably all of us, at least whether it's now or in the past or in the future, have a family relationship that needs healing, uh, they take time. But have faith and just respond to what God has already shown you. I'm not saying that you're going to get what you're hoping for, always. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God will always fulfill what he has said, always. These died in faith, having re- not having received the things promised. Um, by faith, Abraham, when he, this is verse 17, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So th- this is where he's offering Isaac, right? Isaac is his heir. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to him. And God says, hey, I need you to sacrifice uh, your son. And, of course, he starts the act, and then an angel stops him um, because God was testing his faith. And sometimes following the light God has given us and acting on what God has shown us can look contradictory to what we think we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes it's not always going to make sense. A lot of times it's not going to make sense, but the end path will often not be clear. Just respond to the light God's given you. Many of you, you're at some decision point, or you're going to be soon enough. Just respond to the light God's given you, and God will show you what's next. Maybe at not the pace you want, but he will always give you more light. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So here you see the people of Israel who did a lot of ridiculous things, by the way. I mean, remember they did the golden calf thing like right after the Red Sea. And so, but they're in the hall of faith right here. God, shows, God calls them people of great faith. Really interesting, isn't it? Because they exercised more than zero faith when it counted. And... So they walk through collectively, they walk through the Red Sea. And sometimes faith is a collective act. It should be for our church. There are things God wants us to do 
collectively, together. He wants us to exercise faith together. And then eventually they are going to take the promised land um, and there's this giant fortified city called Jericho. It was impenetrable. And God says, hey, multiple times a day for like seven days, I need you to walk, down, walk around the whole city. Um, and this is like two million people, by the way. Get up, walk around the whole city, um, and then the walls are just going to fall down. They're going to fall down inside of themselves. And, you know, I think I, and they're, they're like blowing, they had to blow trumpets and cling cymbals and stuff like that while they're doing it. I think I would have been like, hey, I'm cool with walking around, but could we maybe do it quietly? Because this is embarrassing. Well, it was loud and boisterous and bold, and then the walls of Jericho fall down. By the way, they could have gone around Jericho. They could have just moved on. But God said, no, this is what I'm calling you to. I want all of this. All of this is for you. Faith will have us confront fortresses. Faith has us confront fortresses. It is, it's a call to not go around the hard things, but to look them dead in the eye and let God work. That's what he does. But some of these things, like this big thing, took collective faith. It took a bunch of people, arm in arm, having faith together. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They should be made perfect. These people that God commends as having great faith, I mean, the stuff they went through, they were tortured to death, drowned to death, sawn into. Uh, and, and stuff like this still goes on today. Man. But that's our heritage. It gives you passion. It affects your identity. It gives you hope. It, it helps you to exercise faith when it matters. How much faith do you need? More than zero. That's all more than zero when it counts. If you're at a decision point, just go back to what God's shown you. Respond to the light that he has shown you. Example, husbands, love your wives as yourselves. Hard one. If you're wondering about a career change, 
uh, or maybe God's, you think God's calling you into ministry, whatever it is, but you don't know what to do, just maybe exercise that one. Love your wives as yourselves. Respond to that light and watch what God shows you over here. Does it make sense? Well, not exactly, but that's just how God works, is he gives more light when we respond to the light he's given us. It's actually pretty simple, though. So if you're at a decision point, just go home. Write down the things you know. Write down the light that God has shown you. Focus on that and watch what he shows you next and watch how clearly he shows it to you. Let's pray.